0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the second episode of Frame Rates and Face Locks. I'm your co-host, Rev.
1: And I am your co-host, Swoltaku. What's up, man? I have missed talking to you, at least on the podcast point, for a... What, a week and a half now? We have had a lot of different uh, things go on in the wrestling community. A lot of cool things. A couple of sad things, but, you know, let's get down into it. Um, Biggest thing for me the past couple of days is my boy Kota Ibushi. We said in the last episode. It actually happened. He became God. Uh, So that's one of my biggest highlights of the week. Uh, What did you take away from the past week and a half?
0: Um for me, I think the thing I'm watching probably the most right now is uh um the Jay White situation. Um lots of speculation whether he is really done with New Japan or if this is just a work to rework his character. Um gonna be interesting to see where it goes.
1: And see with with uh with Jay White uh, I stayed up. <laughs> I didn't realize how late it was going to be, but I, I stayed up. I was able to actually see that match. And to see him start, not cry, but get to that point and crawl towards the belts and get them taken away from him. I I just, I don't see it being a work. If it is, then he's superb on the mic and NJPW needs to keep him if it's not and the only reason why I think it's not a work is uh look let's look back at past wrestling promos that weren't exactly a work quote unquote I mean you you have the most iconic one which is the pipe bomb with CM Punk you have Cena versus Roman Reigns that completely there is no doubt they went off script they they did not care Roman Reigns did not care who he was working for at that point. And so I see it the same way. I believe it was um, it was during the Monday Night Wars. WCW had uh, made a promo saying that uh, I think it was The Rock was going to win a title that night. And trying to spoil it for the show. And that's, that's not a work. That's just clearly showing your emotion. And so I see... Uh, Jay White, especially with everything that he said in the press conference, that he's gone. I mean, yeah. I think that he is – I think he's gone.
0: Totally agree. Um, no, I, I think you you might be on to something there. Um, the only thing that really throws me for a loop about it is probably the fact that usually anytime a Bullet Club leader is leaving – The outcome for that is usually the same um, with them getting attacked and being exiled. So this didn't really happen with Jay White at this point. So I'm kind of kind of, you know,
1: questioning here. Okay, I I do agree on that because uh, we we haven't seen Jay White get hit, Um, you know, get sabotaged, get beaten up. I don't know if they're going to keep that tradition, though. Especially with what uh, what's going on with Bullet Club as a whole right now, because they are treating. I mean, because you have what what are what are they called here in America? The Super Deluxe Ultimate Ten Eighty P Bullet Club.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah,
0: it, it's stupid.
1: Yeah, they're they're called this name that isn't even. Um, Original, I mean, we've already talked about this. They're not even the original Bullet Club of the Machine Gun, and they're going to try to come out and say that they're the OG when the leader of the OG defended his title on NXT and won. So it, it doesn't make sense.
0: Well, yeah, the only original member that they have of that group is Machine Gun Carl Anderson. Um, But every other original member does not work for impact and does not work for aew so you know i think it's absolutely crazy that they say that they're the original bullet club because they're not
1: it it's it blows my mind in uh in some ways that i feel like that's kind of what they can only grab onto i mean that's what they're known for but they can't come up with anything new and i know there's a bunch of uh bullet club fans here that are going to say well they're bullet club for life and you know what you're you're probably right they are bullet club for life but they're not bullet club now
0: well i mean when you have probably the longest tenured bullet club member and Tomatonga, you know laying the truth down there saying that you know these guys aren't bullet club You know, they're just guys that they wish they were still in the Bullet Club, you know, and I think he's got a point
1: there. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's been through the Bullet Club when they were on their highest and now kind of when they before they got Jay White and after the elite, when they had that little period of when they were at their lowest and they didn't really have a, a. like glorified leader and you know people didn't really talk about him as much cuz the elite had just left and Jay White was still trying to come up and make a name for himself so Thomas's opinion on this probably matters the most because Bowler has let that be his past he's accepted it but he doesn't disrespect it and so I think listening, listening, and hearing Tama right now, you have to just agree with him. And I mean, there's there's already been so many tweets and everything coming out that uh, it, it's being all laid out there. So the uh, the cease and desist shirts, Tama Tunga commented on that earlier today, saying that uh, that he loves that lie that the Bucks had gotten a cease and desist letter for
0: from WWE.
1: Yeah. So it's kind of burning that Bullet Club idea already. Well,
0: yeah, and that's the thing, you know. um, When Tama tweeted that, you know, thinking about it, I could definitely see the Bucks saying that because they know they're going to make money off of it. And yeah, like the second that they came out with this so-called story, they had t-shirts already out that people bought in the boatloads because... They made WWE sound really petty.
1: And so now... WWE... And I don't think WWE's as worried. Um, I don't know if you saw it, but MJF tweeted... After... Uh, after... AEW... After Dynamite... That... Uh, he was kind of commenting on how both Raw and Dynamite ended... And how the uh, WWE marks are just hanging on to a, a failed ship or a sinking yeah, ship? Yeah. I don't see that now. Yes, MJF is a great heel. Don't get me wrong; probably phenomenal for being how young he is, and just he's got a, lo- a long career in the business and everything like that. But you can't beat Raw. Your show still it can come up towards Raw it can compete with Raw but it can't beat Raw and it really can't even come anywhere close to Smackdown so you're saying that the failed ship is still better than you and the ideas that they're coming up with bringing up Goldberg is basically better than the Bullet Club now he's trying to defend it but that's how it looks is this smart ass kid is coming up and saying well I our ours shows better than yours but we've never beaten you be... Yeah,
0: and see, that's that's the thing, though, is, you know, I feel like they they market themselves way too much to disenfranchise WWE fans who, you know, didn't get their way or what they wanted WWE to do, you know, and so, you know, they, they're marketing to that with all the shots with WWE, and that's all they, they tend to do nowadays is, you know, that's all they're good at is taking shots. And, you know, I got, like, I understand, you know, there being a competition air to it, but this has happened literally several times every single week since AEW started. You know, almost every show there's, there's a shot at WWE and, you know, I feel like that they should be focusing more on their product instead of worrying about what WWE is doing.
1: I I agree with that. Um, And I mean, right now, of course, you know, they've taken impact under their wing. And that has progressively made impact more watchable and more exciting. And let's face it, with the rumors that are going around that uh, NJPW is going to have an American contract, American television contract, AEW is going to partner with NJPW. So they're trying to go around and take these territories. And I, it's a great idea to partner up with all these territories. But your main focus isn't, or at least their main focus isn't going to be, hey, our product still needs to be good. It's, hey, our product just needs to be better than WWE's. And right. that's not necessarily how it is. I mean, I've gone to indie shows. We've worked indie shows together where we've seen some matches not a lot but some matches that are respectively better than any of these television matches and that should be the goal is to have the best matches possible not to be a competitor that we all know is still going to be around in 50 years
0: no, I, I absolutely agree with you, you know, and, you know, I got to give a big shout out to uh, Justin Taylor because, you know, every match I've ever seen him in is absolutely fantastic. And he's one of those guys that, you know, consistently seems to have better matches than oh. you see on TV.
1: Oh, I agree. I agree
0: with that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, going back to it, you know, it's it's one of those things, you know, I, I feel like. You know there's too much emphasis being put on being petty um and calling and just like hanging on to the mistakes that wwe does make and you know you know they do make mistakes but you know any company is going to make mistakes and the only reason wwe's are so prevalent and they people point them out so much is because it's on a bigger platform so like that gets worldwide attention and so it's easy to point that out, like that. You know, is the they make all these really, 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 really bad mistakes all the time, but they don't all the time. It's just that it's on that bigger platform.
1: I I agree because people are commenting on um the uh, the Keith Lee Drew McIntyre match where Keith Lee had a couple of slip ups here and there. Personally, a man that can is that big that can move that fast and still correct himself a split second later does not deserve hate for what he no, can and do. That's,
0: that's the funny thing, man, about wrestling fans. It's like I said, you know, last episode. Wrestling fans are very fickle, especially in the American audience. So, you know, they, they love Keith Lee, and they're backing Keith Lee, but the next instant, they're shitting all over him. You know and that seems to happen with a lot of guys like right now they're trying to say that drew mcintyre is stale which is absolutely in my opinion not true i feel like drew mcintyre is consistently having better and better matches it seems like every program he's in you know i feel like he's getting better and better and better and better but you know that's the wrestling fans they get tired of seeing one guy with the belt and you know i feel like You know, they don't seem to understand that, you know, to build the prestige of the belt, to make it important, you need longer, longer, more spread apart programs rather than title changes that happen once a month.
1: Well, uh, speaking of uh, titles and everything, we got the Royal Rumble coming up and uh, we were both talking about this earlier. What are your thoughts on Goldberg coming back?
0: Okay, so I I think if if they do it the smart way, then it's a great idea. Um, You know, if they want to elevate Drew McIntyre, there's not much better of a choice than Goldberg. You know, if they have them go back and forth, and, you know, Goldberg try to squash McIntyre, and McIntyre is too resilient... And, you know, McIntyre in the end vanquishes Goldberg. Like, that's going to do amazing things for Drew's career, you know. So, I honestly think, if done right, it's a great idea. But, you know how Vince gets, you know, around WrestleMania season, he thinks, you know, because these guys are bigger names and they have more box office that maybe he needs to keep them around for WrestleMania... And so, you know, it's going to be
1: one of those things we have to sit back
0: and see what unfolds.
1: And I don't see it like that. I see Drew being damned either way. Damned if he loses and damned if he wins. Because if he wins. So,
0: yeah, explain your your point there.
1: If he wins, he will have beaten an old man and wasted one of the top five pay-per-views of the year. That's how I see it. And that's how I, that's what I'm getting from the community. That is what I am reading on different groups. And all of this is that everybody keeps saying that if Drew beats Oldberg, that Drew just got an easy road to Elimination Chamber. Um, if he loses, well, I see it as it, it's going to bury him because now he has to qualify in the because I can already see it if he loses he's got to qualify for elimination chamber to get a shot because that's how WWE's done it in the past is the six men whoever wins gets a shot at the title and now it's just a work up story and people are going to start getting tired of that and of course Goldberg being Goldberg is going to just come back every few weeks, cut a five-minute promo with the belt, and that'll be it.
0: Okay, so this is my take. Okay. Um, You see, people are only seeing Goldberg for what he's done in WWE. Instead of thinking about his career, the the career of Goldberg, like the, the buildup that this man has had his entire career. So, yes, like, he is old. But let me raise you this argument. When The Rock versus Hulk Hogan happened, Hulk Hogan was an old man, okay? But that didn't matter. That match will go down as probably one of the best matches in WrestleMania history. Because people weren't taking it for Hogan's age. They were taking it for it's Hulk Hogan, you know, against the star of this generation, the rock. And I see it a lot of the same, you know, the rock and Hogan were very alike in terms of their, you know, their trajectory and in the same, right. Drew and Goldberg are kind of the same, you know, they're both extremely dominant, almost monstrous type personalities. You know there's not very many people that you could put against McIntyre if you wanted to bring a legend back to face the star of today drew McIntyre there's not very many people you could stack against him that would make that kind of sense you know maybe the Undertaker but Undertaker's done you know he's already fought Lesnar so I mean there's not really any other legend name that they could bring back that would really make sense for a dream match, you know, for the almost like a passing of the torch kind of thing, you know, it, there's not many people that would make sense for.
1: And so I'll I'll add on to that. Um, you you bring up The Rock versus Hogan. You got to remember, and I and I mean everybody listening that's going to agree with that has to remember that was at a different era. I mean that was when literally. They were household names. I mean, Drew McIntyre isn't yes to the wrestling community, but The Rock and Hulk Hogan kind of were household names outside of the of the wrestling community. I mean, people around America loved wrestling and took it for what it was and didn't treat it like how outsiders treat it today. So, of course, that was a monumental match and everybody loved it and everybody was hyped for it. But now it's just the wrestling community, and so now we have to deal with the legends coming back and trying to get that that old-school luster and that old-school feel for five minutes. Because literally, that is what the match is going to last. It's not going to be 10 or 15 minutes. It's going to be a five-minute match that we all know what's going to happen, and we have to deal with it. And so you, you put up a good point. I mean, you did. But that was a whole different era. That was when okay. they were on talk shows and having fun and now we're here.
0: Well, let me explain this point that you know further makes sense at least to me. What is WWE's key demographic right now? What is the most like their most audience?
1: Is anywhere from like 35 to 50?
0: uh actually no you got to think children children are their key demographic okay yet all the older fans from 20s and up typically gravitate more toward AEW cuz they're disenfranchised
1: oh yeah with
0: yeah. WWE yeah okay so these people are watching AEW it's safe to say they're probably in their late 20s you know going into you know 40 50 now, those people know Goldberg. Those people know exactly who Goldberg is. So what better way to get some eyes to switch from AEW, tune in to Royal Rumble, because they get to see one of their you know, younger icons that they remember all the heyday, the streak, all the WCW matches. And they're going to turn and tune in to Royal Rumble because Goldberg is on the card.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'll agree with that. Um, I'll agree with that. But, I mean, like, like you said, we just got to sit back and watch and just see what exactly the storyline is going to lead up. Because technically, we're talking about a match. We know it's going to happen. But we don't know when Drew's going to accept. He can accept this week. He can accept the... I mean how much they use social media he can accept the Thursday before the before the actual show we don't know when he's gonna accept And so I think well I think that'll be a pivotal point
0: Oh I, I agree um, you know and I think part of the reason that other than you know people you know holding Goldberg's recent body of work against him, is the fact that uh, this the, the build-up for this match was botched. I mean, it's been reported by Meltzer, it's been reported by a bunch of the other guys that, uh, you know, Drew was supposed to cut a promo after that match explaining how the legends are great, but he's superior to them even when they were in their prime. And that's why Goldberg's promo saying Drew didn't have any respect didn't make any sense whatsoever
1: that's what i was wondering learning after i figured i realized what was going on because throughout the entire show he's hanging out with the legends you know he's hyping them up and then goldberg comes out and says that and i was just oh okay that doesn't uh that doesn't make sense but then once you know let it out that what was going on and that it was just a time cut it made all sense after that
0: agreed um that's the thing though you know Sadly, you know, when shows run too long, you know, stuff's got to get cut. So I don't know. Maybe they're going to come up and, you know, do like a pre-tape or something and, and kind of show like a aired promo. Or even like backstage, say like Goldberg or some of the other legends overheard McIntyre talking to somebody. You know, they got to do something to explain that. But the point is, um, you know, I personally... I honestly think that Drew's going to beat Goldberg. I, I honestly am about 80% sure at this point. Um, because, you know, there's... I, I think there's no end game for Goldberg winning this match. There's really no payoff for it that, you know, even that Vince could probably think of. Like, I honestly don't see a payoff for Goldberg being... The WWE champion.
1: I agree with that. Uh, that's a that's a big fear, and in my eyes, because we all know that uh, Goldberg is after Roman's head. We everybody knows that. That's not a any news, just reporting or anything. We know that Goldberg is out for Roman's head. Um, I don't see it going over well either that if uh or you know if Goldberg loses going to Smackdown the next week or after Elimination Chamber or whatever and uh, demanding or you know challenging like he's been saying Roman for the title I don't see that going over well with the fans at all no matter what
0: well, I agree you know I agree with the fact that um You know, like I said, the the fans and like I kind of on one hand, I don't blame fans for feeling the way the way they do about Bill Goldberg. Um, But I do think that there, you know, might be a chance that he's catching worse, you know, too much of a, a bad rap about everything. You know, Vince's booking decisions can't really be held against this guy like he's he's trying to make money just like anybody else would. You know, he doesn't, you know, Vince says, you know, Goldberg, I need you to have world title match, blah, blah, blah. You know, if he's getting paid the money, of course he's going to do it. Who wouldn't do it, you know? So, of course it's not going to go over well, you know. I, no matter how this program is booked, the fans are going to shit all over it. And that's an inevitability at this point. Um, now you know, for the minority fans that, you know, still enjoy story despite things they may like or may not like um, and give it a chance, I think for the payoff of that, you know, there has to be involvement of Roman Reigns costing Goldberg this match somehow at the Rumble to give Goldberg a reason to immediately
1: come into the title picture against Reigns. Now that makes sense That build, that adds on to a story That makes sense Because now And I, I mean Even if we saw Goldberg On Smackdown Tomorrow If we see or today When this uh, podcast comes out If we see him on there I mean that adds on Because that's just That's just fire right there because now he's got the attention of both champions. Now he's got, Right. I'm coming after him, and I'm going to come after you after once I beat him. Boom. That makes sense. That would be awesome. I pray that's how it goes. Right. I pray. See,
0: I, I, I just have been looking back over the past few months at the shots that Roman and Goldberg have taken each other over in, over social media. And interviews, and you know, I I just have a feeling there's going to be a payoff to that, um, leading into WrestleMania season. I I honestly would not be surprised if Roman Reigns costs Goldberg the WWE Championship
1: at the Royal Rumble. And I mean, that would be that would be amazing. Honestly, I would not find a problem with that at all. Drew retains. Goldberg technically didn't lose. I mean, it, it just makes and, sense. And the
0: beauty of this is not only has Goldberg and Roman be taught, been you know trading shots, but Drew McIntyre and Roman Reigns have traded shots. Um, any raw talk or anything that Drew McIntyre has been on, he's thrown a little shade at Roman Reigns. Um, So, you know, say this does happen and he costs um, Goldberg the match. Well, Drew probably isn't going to be pleased because he didn't want nor need Roman's help. So leading past Goldberg, that might set up for an eventual showdown between the WWE champion and the Universal
1: champion. Which, you know, would be would be amazing, would be some uh, great match to see. Um, speaking of the Royal Rumble we got a couple a uh, couple of call ups after New Year's Evil that I think are going to debut at the Rumble so uh, what are your thoughts on uh, Damian Priest and Rhea Ripley being called up
0: uh, to be honest I don't know if there are many people in NXT that would have been a better choice between those two um, let's face it Rhea Ripley has been on fire you know, for the longest time. And, you know, yeah, she lost some momentum following the widely accepted and widely noted terrible decision to feed her to Charlotte Flair at WrestleMania. But beyond that time, consistently, Rhea Ripley has been on fire. Um, And she's something different, something nobody on the main roster is and she's going to carve out a pretty good niche for herself i think not only with her look and her personality but just her ring work and the fact that she is a bigger dominant woman i think she's going to have a hell of a run i honestly think that that once vince gets to actually see her consistently i honestly think vince is going to you know love rhea ripley and I honestly don't see a downside for her at this point. I honestly see her being the top of the card for a very long time.
1: And um, see, and kind of. I agree with you. I, I love Ripley. I think Ripley, you know, she has everything going for her. My biggest fear, and, and you know what I'm about to say, my biggest fear is she is not a Charlotte, a Lacey Evans, a Kelly Kelly, a Liv Morgan, or an Alexa Bliss. And I think you know the the similarities that I'm coming up to, and that is my biggest fear.
0: I think you you have something there, but at the same time, I feel like you know Vince may still hold on to a lot of his traditional stuff. However, you know some of the biggest stars now aren't people that fit his archetype, aren't people that actually seem to fit the Vince McMahon one. I mean. You know, look at the top stars right, like Sasha Banks. She's killing it right now. Um, you got, you know, Becky Lynch was not Vince's prototype, and she's one of the biggest female superstars in the past ten years. Um, you've got people like Shayna Baszler, who's, you know, even though she's in the the tag division right now, she's still killing it. Um, you know, I'm I'm seeing a lot more of these diverse women coming up, and you know, making. Pretty good name for themselves. Hell, look at Alexa Bliss. She deviated from being the, uh, you know, the pretty blonde, you know, and now she's playing a much different character, and she's killing it, you know. And Oh, I agree. I honestly think this is a, you know, the perfect time for Rhea to step in there because mm-hmm. in this current climate, it seems like the different ones are the ones that are succeeding the most. I mean, look at Asuka. She's definitely not a Vince McMahon prototype. You know, she's unique. She's her own image. And she's been the woman's champion since Becky Lynch stepped out. She's been in the high profile the whole time. So I honestly think Rhea Ripley's going to come in and she's going to absolutely kill it.
1: I mean, I agree. I don't like the uh, the Vince prototype. I mean, we've we've talked about our favorite female superstars, and obviously my choices don't fit that. I'm just worried for Ripley that that's what it's going to be. Now, having Ripley, you know, Shayna get rid of Nia Jax as a tag team partner and even bringing in Ripley or, you know, something working something with Ripley again, Shayna Baszler and Ripley on the main roster stage, I would like more. I'd like that to be her first feud coming up because – the way that they ended was just perfect. I mean, they still... You could tell that later down the road, they're going to have these great technical matches. Not these we'll see. spotty ones.
0: No, like, I agree with you. Um, but the thing is, is if you watched... Um, I don't remember what... I think it was, like, the one of the recent Chronicles or something. And it actually Rhea Ripley was talking about WrestleMania and losing to Charlotte and talking about how she lost her confidence and she didn't believe in herself anymore. You know, that's too good of a story for it not to end up being Charlotte Flair, Rhea Ripley too. I'm telling you, I can see it coming from a mile away.
1: And we, we talked about that also, um, that, uh, You know, it'd be really weird because Charlotte just came back, just came back as a face. Rhea getting called up, and obviously people are going to love her. People are going to pop. You know, she's going to come in being cheered on even if she turns heel. But to have Charlotte turn heel this fast is something that I don't even think Vince would be crazy enough to do i mean yeah she that's the thing though she fought with rick yeah she fought with rick i understand i just i i don't know if that's stock wise if that's good
0: uh i just think you know i you know the majority even online everybody knows that charlotte works way better as a heel and her gimmick is tailored to be a heel um And the thing about it is, is even historically with Ric Flair, Ric Flair's face turns never lasted long. The only time he was really consistently a face was toward the very end of his career, that last little run um, to give him his send-off. He was a baby face. But, you know, flares are the heels of the wrestling business. They will always be. Um, And that's just the way they're portrayed. You know, when somebody comes out in those robes and calls himself, you know, the queen or the dirtiest player in the game, or, you know, going on about sixteen time world champion, styling, profiling. You know, they're the guys that the typical fan loves to hate. And so this honestly a heel turn, turning on Oscar's right in Charlotte's wheelhouse. I mean Somebody that calls himself the queen of wrestling is not going to share the spotlight with the empress of tomorrow. No. They're the queen, and they're going to establish that they are the end-all, be-all of the business. You know? And so, yeah, I definitely agree with you. And for some of the fans that do gel with Charlotte's face turn, um, it's going to, you know, I could see that argument. But, you know, money... Tends to, you know, come in more like Charlotte is the natural female heel, and I just don't see that being any different.
1: And I, I don't disagree that you know she's a great heel. I'm just saying, it would. I'm just saying it'd be weird if this Monday, she immediately just turns on Oscar. No, I don't h- hints, see it. Hint, no, nothing, and because we're only what three weeks away,
0: right. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, we're only three weeks away,
0: so but that's the thing. Is I don't, I don't see it being a turn on a raw. I see it being over the next few weeks. Charlotte asks Oscar for a title shot. Oscar agrees. Royal Rumble comes, match is going on, and in the very end, Charlotte takes a cheap shot and wins the title. That's how I see Charlotte going heel.
1: Okay. I don't think
0: it's going to be a turn on Raw. I think it's going to be in the match. She's going to turn kind of all off Becky Lynch turning on Charlotte Flair at SummerSlam kind of thing.
1: Okay. All right. I agree with that. Yeah. That I can agree Um, with. That I can imagine in my head.
0: And, you know, Charlotte put a lot of emphasis on that, uh, that, that documentary they just did on her how Oscar, Oscar and her at Wrestlemania when she beat Asuka it put Charlotte on the map it, it pushed her to a new level there's a lot of emphasis on that and I honestly think it's going to come full circle at Wrestlemania when Rhea Ripley beats Charlotte Flair and it pushes Rhea Ripley to a whole new level
1: Well, yeah, because then Rhea will be on Flair's level, on Lynch's level, right. on and that's the uh, thing, Banks's level.
0: A lot of you know, even Charlotte Flair, who you know, no disrespect to Becky or you know Sasha. Charlotte Flair is probably going to go down in this generation as the greatest female wrestler. Um, yes, Becky Lynch's moment at wrestlemania will always stand and everybody will remember that and of course the people you know becky's the the people's champion for you know women um to fans but if you look at pound for pound accomplishments over this generation charlotte's going to go down as you know the biggest female star and um you know this, Charlotte's already gone on record saying she's a huge fan of Rhea Ripley. And uh, she sees a lot of potential in Rhea Ripley being a huge star in the future. So I honestly think, you know, this This is... that's. I honestly think that's why it's going to happen. There's too much evidence saying and, and pointing that
1: way. Yeah. I mean... And now... When Charlotte uh, beat Asuka, that match was by far one of the best on the card and that was in the middle of the show i mean the the effort that those two women put in alone just tore the house down i mean there was blood coming out of i mean charlotte had cut herself i think in twice in her right arm she had a little bit of blood on her knees i mean there was blood these women were putting everything out there for the fans and I agree with that. Um, I just don't want to see like a, a real half ass storyline like we've been getting for the last couple of months.
0: No, see see what... And this is, you know, I, I could be way off base here. I'm just a fan making speculation. Um, but I honestly think Charlotte turns on Asuka, beats her for the belt. Um, and Rhea either wins the Women's Rumble Comes really, really, really close. And Charlotte, leading up to Mania, is bragging that she's the queen and nobody can step to her. And if Rhea doesn't challenge her immediately after the Rumble, you know, I see it being after the final pay per view, um, after Charlotte's dispatched a feud or two and stays on top, it seems like nobody can challenge Charlotte to Rhea Ripley and says, you know, you and I have unfinished business.
1: Okay, all right. Well, you know, let's just hope that that's what comes out. Let's hope that that is what happens. And let's just hope the best for all of these wrestlers that we love. But, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for the Live for the Pop segment section of this podcast. We didn't actually get to say that last week. Uh, So, did you look at that link that I sent you? I did, and
0: I think it's a cool concept. But what I'm worried about it is it being too campy. Um, you know, football fans and sports fans in general, they are so diverse that I don't know if it's such a good idea to have fans controlling every aspect of it. It's going to be so hard to keep up with and watch. Because there's so much different shit going on at the same time.
1: And ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about the newest league that will be here in 36 days. The Fan Control Football League. So what that is, is four different teams were created by a bunch of, basically a bunch of millionaires. uh, To have fans play real life Madden is basically what it's going to be. It's going to be on Twitch. You guys can see it if you guys log on to uh, or if you guys look up fan controlled football, you guys will see. And the only reason why I thought this would be a great part for our pop segment is because of who owns or partially owns Team Beast, which is Marshawn Lynch. And I'm going to call him by his WWE name, Rusev. Oh, wow. And Greg Miller from Kind of Funny Games owns one of owns another team.
0: I definitely think you know it's cool to see that, but again, I I'm just gonna have to wait and see because, like I said, it, it's a cool concept, but there's a lot gonna be going on there. Um, so I mean, we'll see. It sounds like it's gonna be cool. I
1: just don't know how well it's gonna work. And you know, it's gonna it's going to fill this uh, gap for you know the playoffs in the NFL and everything considering our team respectfully didn't make it this year.
0: But, uh, you know, speaking of the the NFL, you know, this is something I've been wanting to talk about and, you know, I've been doing a lot of watching back and, and, uh, you know, reading the analysts, what they got to think about this. But what did you think of Philadelphia? on the edge of possibly beating Washington, pulling out Jalen Hurts in favor of a bench-riding quarterback and
1: essentially tanking for a draft pick. I have the most unpopular opinion. If you guys do not like this, please keep listening for Mike's part, but I know you're going to be mad at mine. I support the Eagles. That hurt to say so much because I'm a Cowboys fan, but I support the Eagles. There is no reason at all that they had to keep Hurts in there because he wasn't playing good. Let's not sugarcoat it. Let's not say that he was having a Tom Brady Super Bowl game. He wasn't. He wasn't playing good. But to secure your draft pick, to basically say F you to your rival, and to get the publicity that you did... I support them because there is no rule in football that says that you have to help your rival get to the playoffs. And it may be a, it may be a courtesy thing. It may be disrespectful to the giants. I know that coach McCarthy said a few things, but doesn't really care because we're focused on our draft and we're focused on the national game, the national championship game, go Alabama and, uh, you know, all of that, but I don't see where it's a big problem. Now, yes, the Giant fans are mad. That's okay. I mean, now now I see it as if we had beat the Giants, we would have been in the same hole.
0: Like, yeah, and, like, I guess I see a little bit of your side, but the way I see it, you know, football, you know, it's meant to be competitive. You go out there and you put everything on the line to try to win. And, yes... Jalen Hurts wasn't playing a great game. However, the plays he did make were what kept Philadelphia, honestly, on the verge of winning that game. And honestly, it probably would have been a different outcome if had Jalen Hurts stayed in the game. Um, As far as helping your rival out, I mean, they still kind of did. I mean, Washington's their rival too.
1: I mean, I I do agree with that they they handed them the NFC East I do agree with that but I also see it as they gave an Alex Smith who's 5 and 1 we're not looking at the overall Washington record cuz he hasn't played all season we're looking at what he's played 5 and 1 to Daniel Jones who made it clear what his record is 6 and 10 I mean it, we're, we're seeing a Washington team who has literally been pushed against the wall, punched in the face, and told not to get up, and they still get up. Ron Rivera beating cancer. Alex Smith moving. Yes.
0: No, no, I agree with you, and I agree on those things, but again, you know, we're talking about the same kind of thing that the New York Jets did trying to get Trevor Lawrence until they ruined it. And now probably the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to end up with Trevor Lawrence, as the quarterback. But the point of the matter is, is, you know, this, their franchise quarterback, the quarterback they're trying to build now that they've pretty much decided that Carson Wentz just isn't it. You know, how do you shoot your own quarterback in the face? I mean, that was that their chance to say, hey, you know, we may not be going to the playoffs, but our kid's a star. And he's going to show you next season that he's going to build off this and we're going to be a team to watch. No, that just basically shows that, okay, well, we don't care about our rookie quarterback, you know, making a statement. We don't care about him getting probably the biggest win of his career. And we're going to build a reputation that our
1: coach is not going to do what it takes to win a football game. And, I mean... Take that. Take what you just said, but add on to everything else that's been in Philadelphia's history. Philadelphia isn't a good team morally. They win the Super Bowl. They burn their own city. Their past quarterbacks. Oh, man, I, I agree with you. Yeah, th- Philadelphia isn't isn't such a good moral city football-wise. I and just
0: I just feel for the players because you could see in their reactions to, in that moment when Jalen Hurts was benched that these guys wanted so badly to cap their dismal season off with showing and, and making a statement and going out on a high note, and their coach basically robbed them of that.
1: Oh, I agree like, with I that.
0: Honestly, I don't see how anybody – probably wants to play for Philadelphia at this point. Um, I I see them in a very similar situation to what Houston is feeling right now.
1: Oh my God, poor Houston I feel for because they've they've potentially had for the last, I want to say the last five years, they've had the potential to be a playoff team. And every time that Deshaun Watson and J.J. Watt seem to get excited it gets pulled right under them.
0: Yeah, so but, you know, you get a rookie quarterback in here, you know, and he's you know, he this is, you know, his introduction to the NFL. How is Jalen Hurts supposed to look at being, you know, a young hot shot in the league? How is he supposed to look at that in a good light now? Like I feel like if it were me, my whole experience would be a ruin, you know? And my opportunity was ripped away from me.
1: We, we have to look back overall at his games. We can't just look at this one game. Because Jalen Hurts still being benched, um, he would have been 2-1. and one. Now he's 1-2. Uh, he isn't... I don't want to say he's going to be the next franchise eagle, just because I don't see Philadelphia keeping him in the long run, I see him once this rookie contract's over. I see him going to a team that's more suited for him. You know what I mean?
0: I mean, I mean, yeah, I understand that.
1: I I see him go. I see him leaving, but I don't see him being a quarterback that's going to be at the competing for a Super Bowl every year. Unless, you know, yeah. because, I mean, even in college, once he got kicked out or once he got benched, he switched schools. He made it very clear that he wants to be the star, and that just doesn't seem to trend. That reminds me of Mr. Free Agent now, Cam Newton.
0: No, no, I, I mean, I, I I, hear you, but I think there's a difference in being hungry and being just delusionally cocky um cam newton put way too much stock in his talents he seemed to think that he was going to be new england's savior in lieu of superman leaving metropolis and the bottom line is you know he's nowhere near that caliber and it showed it showed um I honestly think Jalen Hurts, you know, he has the potential to be a very bright star in the football world, but, you know, it, it's got to come down to, you know, maybe not even as just players, but like as an owner, how can you look at your head coach who, you know, did not show integrity
1: and be proud of your franchise? Oh, I agree with that. I mean, every you can ask any fan from the NFC. What do you think of Doug Peterson? And he's, he's
0: a, yeah, he's a piece of shit.
1: And it, it's it's going to come out from everybody from Detroit, I mean from Tampa because since he's been on the team and in the league, almost every team has played him. Now, we can say whatever we want because we're his rival, of course. You know, that's just going to go with it. But you can ask other fans from other divisions, and they're still going to hate him. I don't see him being in the league in the next five years.
0: No, like, and, you know, as a Cowboys fan, you know, it's most of the time you're not going to catch me taking up for any of our rivals. But, you know, like I said, I was absolutely gutted for those players watching that game. Um and the fact of the matter is is you know I could I could definitely relate to the emotions they were feeling. and you know, I, I just feel really bad for them. you know. I feel like you know their chance to control their destiny was taken from all for what uh, another draft pick. you know, you know, I, I can only imagine how the New York Jets feel, except apparently, you know, except the owner. Apparently all the other players were buying into the Kool-Aid. You know, but you know, you gotta you gotta feel for these guys.
1: I uh speaking of the Jets, I hope that they get I know everybody wants Trevor Lawrence in the league. And Trevor Lawrence is gonna be the next Tom Brady is what everybody's saying, and this, that, and the other. I don't want them to get rid of Sam Darnold. And, bef- I mean, I mean I we, we got to look at it. He's never had a line. Never. No, never no, had a line. That's true. So you're going to, and for any football fan that says, you know, he sucks, this and that, for one, you know, he, he can suck. He's making all this money. Two, he doesn't have a line to protect him. You're You're asking him basically to <laughs> snap the ball so- with five defenders in his face.
0: This is, this is kind of how I feel about it. I feel like he's a solid quarterback, but I don't feel like he's the guy that's going to be able to take a, you know, struggling franchise beyond where they've been. Um, I kind of see him in the same breath as, you know, your Andy Dalton. You know, Andy Dalton's solid, but is he the franchise guy? No. So, I mean, I definitely, I definitely think, you know, there's something to be said for Darnold, but I just don't foresee him being the guy that's going to lead them out of obscurity.
1: And I, I see him more as a Flacco.
0: I can agree with you there even. Flacco, yeah, I I totally agree with that. Started off Um, bad,
1: gets one Super Bowl win, but then, you know, kind of just coasts the rest of his career
0: right and i you know you you're very possibly right um but i'm gonna veer off that um as cowboys fans here i've got to say you know i i gotta say andy dalton earned a lot of respect from me in that game this last sunday um even after getting his hand stomped on and uh, apparently it was severe enough that he was bleeding through his glove which they showed on camera to go out there and play gutsy and with heart, you know, I I, I got to respect that. You know, whether I, I, I mean, I'm very clear that Dak is a far better quarterback um, and he's the guy that Dallas needs to keep under center. Um, Andy Dalton went out there and played lights out and he left everything out there. And I, I got to respect that.
1: I, I'm not an Andy Dalton guy. You know that. He did great. Um, It came out from Ian Rappaport before the game that he would get an extra million, um, a million dollar bonus if he got us to the playoffs. So I kind of see that that's why he played with heart. I think before anything else, he was building his stock because he won't be he won't be a cowboy and that's okay. I mean, Mark Sanchez played for one year. Andy Dalton can play for one year. It's fine. It's okay. We'll get. We'll probably draft a quarterback to be to battle with uh, Gilbert for second string. But I I saw it completely as Dalton was building his stock. And I mean,
0: maybe, but I could see that if before the injury happened. But you know. Those gloves, like I've put on, you know, receiver gloves before and I've worn them. Those things aren't exactly thin. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, I can only imagine how, how bad his hand really got cut. Um, but the fact is, is, you know, when you get hurt like that, you know, he could have easily wrote it off and, and phoned it in because he was hurt. You know, he, there was nothing obligating him. You know, yeah, he, he could have got the bonus, but at the same time, you, he's not going to freaking lose much off of it. I mean, they're still paying him enough probably that he has plenty of money. Oh, yeah. You know, so, you know, he he wasn't obligated to go back out there. Um, and, you know, it, if it honestly hadn't been for that, you know, That outside rush and having that, you know, that rookie on the end there that, you know, there was no way he could compete with that outside pass rush. You know, honestly, it very well could have been a different game. One, had that he had decent pass protection on that last drive. And two, if Coach McCarthy had noticed that, um, that pass that he should have challenged and, and, um, New York's, last drive before that um i honestly think cowboys
1: would have won that game i believe that um he all he needed to do was just throw the challenge flag
0: yeah he should have thrown the challenge flag it would have been overturned that wouldn't they wouldn't have been able to get that field goal which dallas would have won off a field goal so rather than dalton being put in a situation that he had to throw for the end zone on third down they could have kicked the field goal and dallas would have went home with a win yep um but like i said honestly you know there's a lot of quarterbacks out there who i mean a quarterback's hands are you know that's that's what a quarterback uses like that's his bread and butter like without hands there is no quarterback and the fact that andy dalton went out there you know and and did what he had to do you know got to respect that you know he and the fact the matter is like he In my mind, Andy Dalton has nothing to gain. He knows he's not going to be the starter. He knows that. They've told him up front this is Dak's team. So, like, to go out there and still, you know, play and and bring them almost to the brink of winning that game, you know, that that speaks to the guts of
1: Andy Dalton. And, see, that's why I keep saying, like, he he built his stock because – you know, Jacksonville's going to need a veteran backup quarterback for whoever they draft. Right now it's kind of looking like uh Mac Jones Trevor is going to be a well there's a theory that Trevor Lawrence threw that game to get to go to either uh New England cuz New England's trying to trade up. And I mean, right I now,
0: could possibly see that.
1: Mac Jones is kind of the the word around Jacksonville. Well, Cause I he's, mean
0: I won't complain because I'm a huge fan of Matt Jones.
1: He's gonna be I a I
0: think he's unbelievable. He's gonna
1: be a champion, um, let's face it. He they're gonna be Ohio State.
0: I mean, I'm just recently getting into college and uh, I've adopted from watching a couple games that Alabama's my team. And just watching Matt Jones play every week has been probably one of the highlights of every weekend for me because the dude is just really good. Like he's got, he's got vision and he knows how to place a ball perfectly. Um, He makes good reads. He, you know, doesn't, he's not quick to get rid of the ball. Um, He's just a really great quarterback.
1: And I can see the Mac Jones outplaying the Trevor Lawrence because Mac Jones wasn't talked about, wasn't really talked about at all other than maybe a couple of Heisman votes and potentially getting Alabama to uh, the national championship, everybody's focus has been on Trevor Lawrence. The same way well, everybody's nah, I mean, I agree. everybody's focus was on Joe Burrow.
0: Well, Every- see, and that's the thing is, you know, even with Alabama coming into the season, the eyes weren't on Mac; They were on the guy who's his backup. Yeah. Because they were saying that his backup is basically the next of Tagovailova. Yep. And um, Mac Jones came out and proved that, you know, he's the guy. And, you know, Alabama, though, in general, dude, like, the talent on that team is just unbelievable. Like, all those guys that are coming up in the draft, they're going to the NFL. I, a team's going to be dumb not to swoop them up. You
1: and we know? have the 10th pick. I can
0: only hope, I can only hope Dallas, you know, picks up one of those guys because Alabama, you know, it seems like year in and year out, they produce great football players. I mean, look at Derrick Henry from Alabama. Derrick Henry's probably the most dominant running back since Marson Lynch.
1: And he's you know, gonna he's just, just gonna keep hey, running through these playoffs
0: he's just a beast I mean right now thanks dude mainly in part to him you know that's that's who I'm riding with for the playoffs now like the Tennessee Titans that's the, that's the team I'm rooting for um, but you know they they consistently I mean you're Mark Ingrams um, you know Alabama churns out great football players. I mean, there was just an article on dallascowboys.com from one of our defensive guys saying in an interview that he wants one of Alabama's cornerbacks, he hopes Dallas picks them up because the dudes just lights out. And, you know, I honestly hope so, because Dallas needs secondary help. Desperately. So, let's beer off football real quick and let's do some hot takes. Um, We'll go over some topics that we can't really delve in too much for time constraints. we just give some quick hot takes on what we think about them. Um, Let's start with NXT New Year's Evil. I'll let you go first.
1: Was one of the best uh, specials that they've had in a while. Uh, The Grand Matalik-Santos-Escobar match, I loved seeing Xyli and Boa come back was amazing and then of course Finn Balor winning you know in a bloody final match against Kyle O'Reilly I enjoyed it one of the best shows that they've been able to produce during the pandemic
0: okay so if you had to pick who shined the brightest in that show
1: I want to say it would be Damian Priest (laughs) from what we from what we what we were talking about and me rewatching, you know, rewatching the match and actually taking in what happened, yeah, it was it was priest.
0: And I I'm definitely from a in-ring performance standpoint right there with you. Um Damian Priest, this was like his coming out party. It was showing, "Hey, you know, I am going to do something against this monster that n- nobody else has ever done." You know, even Keith Lee was relatively squashed by Karrion Cross. However, you know, this, the image will always stick to me. Like, there's several wrestling images throughout history that always will stick in my head. Like, one being um, at WrestleMania when it was Brock versus Roman. And Roman's a crimson bloody mess. And he's just looking up defiantly at Brock Lesnar like that. That image will stick with me forever. Um, and, you know, last night was another one with, you know, Damian Priest telling Karrion Cross, I'm still standing, bitch. Like, that will never come out of my mind now. That's like an iconic, like, that was a make a making moment right there for Damian Priest.
1: That That's what's going to help him uh, towards the main roster, whichever way, whichever show he goes to and whichever way that they uh, decide to push him.
0: Um, and then, you know, from a character standpoint, I'm sorry, he may have just been the host, but Dexter Loomis shined last night. You know, he was compelling and, he, you know, his mystique is just enough to really keep you interested and go, huh, I kind of want to see what, what he's going to do next. You know, the fact that, you know, he's stoic and doesn't say a word and he has his little drawings that he does and, you know, shit like that. Like, honestly, that was one of my favorite parts of the show.
1: I enjoyed that, yeah. I think that Um, um, here in the next few months towards, uh, I mean, even towards NXT Valentine's Day Massacre, we're probably going to get a good match with Loomis.
0: um, You know, my favorite moment probably outside of in-ring was uh, the Johnny Gargano moment when that match wasn't even really booked and he just shows up with a ring bell. You know, that was like one of the best moments of the night for me because it was just off the wall. Like how could you not kind of chuckle to yourself about it, you know?
1: Yeah, especially with the uh, with the way trying to uh, trying to promote themselves and push themselves the way they were.
0: And you know, I gotta give it to Johnny Gargano. Like the dude sells everything so great. Like how can it not get over? Because Johnny Gargano just sells these things, be it facial expressions or mannerisms. Like, Johnny Gargano is on another level right now. I mean, he doesn't even have to be in the ring to make this work. He could do it in a backstage segment or even just standing there.
1: And people are going to love it, regardless.
0: Right, and he, yeah, he's, he's proving to be, you know, what gets a lot of these things over on NXT. Um, let's see. Now we'll go to AEW's um, New Year's Bash Night 1. Hot takes from that.
1: Didn't really care too much for it. Yeah, you know, Snoop Dogg made a splash, literally.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with probably the worst frog splash anybody has ever done in the history of frog splashes.
1: And uh, I mean, you know, I'm her. I'm a big fan of Tay Conti when she was in NXT Tanara. I'm very excited to see what the Dark Order has planned for her. the fact that they are going to be their ringside when she faces Serena Deb for night two. That was my biggest takeaway of the night. I wasn't really focused on you know Wardlow versus Hager because that's just that's just a big boulder match basically but to see what they're gonna do with a female uh, competitor, I am very excited for and that's that's kind of my biggest takeaway is I was so happy only because of how she was booked in NXT for her to go to this company and kind of get a bigger push even though she can't speak English that well I'm, I'm very excited
0: I, I agree with you um to be honest uh between you know Brody Lee's passing um um you know, and generally how much the Dark Order has grown as a faction since the inception. Honestly, the Dark Order has probably gone from probably the the dumbest thing on the planet to being probably my favorite thing about AEW. Um, You know, they just, they've grown so much in personality and even in their in-ring work that honestly
1: they're the reason why I submit. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And you know, we we talked about it earlier in this episode, what we thought on you know, the whole bullet club thing being remade here in America and we don't really care about it. Um I think the final thing that we should talk about the last segment for this episode is what did you think of the Brody Lee tribute show?
0: Um, see, I, I'm not going to say, you know, I would never say anything negative about it because it was, it was really touching and really well done. And, uh, it was done for the right reasons. You know, there were, it wasn't about making anybody a star. It was, the emphasis was kept on Brody Lee and I commend them for that. Absolutely. Um, but a lot of people are where I disagree is a lot of people saying it's the most beautiful and touching wrestling tribute show ever and that's where I have to disagree Um, to me nothing still stirs the emotions in me quite to the measure of the show, the Raw after Eddie Guerrero passed away like that right there is probably in my opinion the most touching Tribute show ever um, but you know getting back to Brody Lee's like it was really well done and I really honestly the wrestling community as a whole not just AEW um, I've got to give props to everybody I feel like everything was done the right way to honor Brody and I feel like the wrestling community put aside their their differences For, you know, what's being said by just about everybody. For one of the best human beings um, to ever be in the wrestling business. Um, You know, I also thought it was really cool. A lot of people were bashing WWE for not airing a tribute video. However, they did on Thursday. And honestly, my theory is, you know... They wanted to let AEW, even though they were competition, you know, do their thing first because that's his last body of work. Yes. And they didn't want to overshadow anything AEW was doing. Hell, you even had WWE talent promoting that show on Twitter.
1: Yes. Xavier so, Woods, Adam Cole, everybody.
0: It, I think WWE was a really classy move you know, to let AEW have that night, you know, to honor Brody Lee and his family. And, you know, I think my biggest takeaway is it was really beautiful to see the wrestling community as a whole come together for once and not just be throwing hateful words at each other and the other companies.
1: Agreed. All right, ladies now, and gentlemen. Before we
0: before oh. before we close, I gotta get your opinion on one thing. Um, what do you think of Okada's idea as a goodwill to the fans to throw the biggest cross-promotional wrestling festival of all time?
1: You know me, or, or did you hear about that? I, I've heard it. You know me. Uh, I watch as much NJPW as I can. I probably annoy a lot of people with how much that I love it I think that is what we need right now the, not just the wrestling community but I mean we have celebrities that love wrestling and I believe that it could you know just be another one of those mo- wholesome moments that really everybody needs right now to have just this giant festival and to be able to do this I mean, there would be there would be people in their 60s, their 70s. My grandfather, who's, you know, 85, who's been watching this since he was a little boy down in Texas, who would come to tears with how amazing this would be. And I, I could only imagine, you know, what the circumstances would have to come to for it to be possible.
0: Right. But
1: um, I'm going to let you go ahead and close this out here. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for watching episode two. We love you guys. We appreciate you guys for listening. Also, you can follow in the description below UAW Wrestling, which is a surprise that we have for both of you guys. Click that subscribe button, comment, like, share with us. We also got a few more uh, surprises, hopefully, that we can debut next week on the episode for more of this podcast. Later, guys. Later.